Why is the ocean the king, the queen of all waters? It's because it lies beneath them so that the rivers, the rain, and all other waters on our land can flow into it. Today, we are going to talk about humility. Welcome to the dojo. So today on the dojo and, and into the next episode, we are going to talk about what I consider to be one of the, the highest virtues and values that a human can embrace, and, and that is humility. We've talked on the podcast about other virtues, gratitude and empathy and self-awareness, but we're going to get into it in this episode on humility. We're going to talk about what is humility and what is it not. The life lessons I've learned that have come to bear, especially through disability, through the lens of humility and humility and providing services, you know, especially those of us that are in the human service industry and, you know, how humility is interwoven in that. On the next episode, we're going to talk about humility and learning. Humility as it is in our society, or perhaps we could be a better society if we had more of it, and humility and personal growth. So this episode of the dojo, humility, what is it? What is humility? As it's defined in the Oxford Dictionary, humility is a modest or low view of one's own self-importance. A modest or low view of one's self-importance. I'm not sure I totally agree with this. No bashing of the Oxford Dictionary's uh, uh, version of there. Uh, they certainly are, are much smarter than I am. But I, I, I do agree about, you know, having a very uh, modest opinion of one's own self-worth. I know very commonly held definition, uh, the antithesis of humility, uh, ego being an overinflated viewpoint of one's own self-importance. Uh, a definition that I came across that I, that I really think drives to the heart of it is that humility is freedom from pride and arrogance. I like that one a lot. I think that one, for me, the freedom you know, from pride and arrogance is, is more of a fit for me and how it's defined. But I, I think if we were going to really drill into it, uh, it can be much more complex as, as it's defined. But as I was saying at the top of this, you know, when I think about virtues of um, empathy and gratitude and adaptability and resilience and perseverance and self-awareness. And there's many, many, many others. I'd, I'd argue that I think humility is uh, one of the most important ones for many reasons. I feel like it's almost like a doorway to a lot of these other ones. For example, I, I found that the times in my life where I've been learning humility allows me to be more empathetic towards other people. Oftentimes, my entryway into, into humility is going through an experience where I feel vulnerable. I'm needing to ask for help. And in doing so, I'm leaning into a lot of fears and insecurities. And, and it may just, you know, it's a very human thing. And uh, definitely not in a position of pride or arrogance there and asking for help. And then when I'm in a position of where people are asking me for help, 
it really gives me a life experience to draw upon, to, to have empathy for other people who I can see are, are coming from a place of vulnerability and are perhaps needing my assistance and, and I can have empathy for that. It allows me to be grateful. Uh, you know, I think you know, humility gives me a great opportunity to, to be grateful uh, for things that I have and to be of service. And certainly, you know, as I mentioned earlier, like adaptability and, and all these other kind of things. I, I, I just feel like humility is one of these like foundational and, and really fundamental virtues that's just very important, very high aspiring to be, uh, to really strive for. And it's one of those interesting virtues too, that I, I feel like as soon as, um, you know, someone can claim gratitude, like I'm so grateful and I do, you know, I'm so grateful for, for many of the things that I have. I actually have empathy for other people. It's why I do the work that I do. But as soon as I claim humility, I feel like it's one of those virtues that I don't have humility. Uh, so I, I find it just to be this very interesting, paradoxical, elusive virtue uh, as many times. One that like I, I could see myself working towards, but as soon as I claim to have humility, uh, that's not humility. And I think there's a, a friend of mine from Brazil was sharing with me uh, a cliche that they have kind of making fun of somebody that's they say, you know, I'm so proud of my humility. I think is what they were paraphrasing to me is this like it's something that you if we indeed have it it's for others to to see in us not for us to see in ourselves and we can never become so egoic to think that we are humble so i find it to be a very interesting virtue from that lens as well you know one of the things that i find fascinating too when humility is studied in research and it is in the social sciences that uh, there's a very convincing body of evidence in, in the research that, and, and again, researchers have these instruments out there that can identify and measure humility. Fascinating about social science that they can go out and do this. When they go and study people that you know score highly in humility and, and low in humility, and they look at certain outcomes and everything else like that, they find that, that people that report or assessed as having higher levels and states of humility, that it's associated with greater physical and mental well-being and quality of life. That people that score higher in terms of humility are just happier people. Um, that they have less stress, that they're more likely to be generous and give to other people, to be grateful and have a better social life. So if we need a reason to embrace humility or work towards humility, uh, there's a good body of evidence to, to show that. So that I find to be very fascinating and convincing to work towards you know, having more humility, to, to be free from pride and arrogance and, and have a modest you know, view of our own importance. And, and some of the, the life experiences that I have had that really, I, I think, have given me a better understanding of humility and, and what it's about is kind of seeing myself in relation to the bigger picture in the, in the world. And so, for example, when I did live in uh, Colorado, in the Rocky Mountains there, uh, one of the things that I, I really enjoyed doing was just, you know, being on top of a mountain and, and looking at the uh, landscape out there. Uh, it was breathtaking to see this, the enormity of mountains that are out there. I mean, these are, these are like 14,000 foot peaks I would be staring at. And it was just takes, there's so much awe and, and takes my breath away to, to just see how small I am in the big picture of things. Again, very, you know, can give me a sense of humility, I suppose, to see that, 
You know, I'm just this little person looking out at this 14,000 foot peak that's among other 14,000 foot peaks. And then as far as the eye can see, there's just these peaks and valleys and, and it is so big. And yet, and, and then I think to myself and zoom out, like all these big mountains that I'm looking at here are relatively small compared to the range of mountains that goes across the state of Colorado and in, into other states and even up into Canada, like this mountain range is enormous. So even the mountains that I'm, I'm here uh, looking at are, are very minuscule into the whole range of mountains in and of itself. And I zoom out even more and think about the planet Earth and, and in our solar system and and that, you know, we live in a by a by one star, you know, that's near billions of stars just in one galaxy. And this galaxy happens to be parts of billions and billions. of. So you get where I'm going, I hope. Is that like me, just little old me in this vast universe that just seems, uh, you know, infinite can be something that I, I think one of the reasons that I, that I get so enamored into it is that it right sizes me to, into my own existence. And I would find it, you know, something that is helpful onto the path of humility. And then I think about like humankind, the fact that, you know, homo sapiens have been here for almost 150,000 years and that, you know, recorded history is maybe, you know, 10,000 ish years, you know, we're in the year, you know, what, 2022, and that's 2022 years, uh, time oriented around the life of Jesus. I think that's a long time ago. Um, shoot, I think, you know, 50 years, uh, whatever, a hundred years is a long time ago, but it's not as far as time, time can be a good orientation for me. But then I think about, wow, there's 7 billion plus people alive right now on our planet. I'm just one of 7 billion other lives valuable lives of people that are living out their dreams, their lives. And so I find a pathway towards humility is understanding that my size in the world. So I think that's why I become so enamored uh, in looking at things in the big picture and, and it really right sizes my perspective. So that's one entryway into in humility that I find. But also another to me is that my understanding of humility is not necessarily what society really tries to thrust upon us as being important and valuable. Um, So for me, humility does not see people as better than or less than based on, for instance, academic achievement. You know, humility wouldn't say, well, this person's better because they graduated high school than this person who did not graduate high school. Or this person is better because they went to college and graduated and this person did not. Or this person's better because, you know, they got these alphabet soup after their name. They got a PhD or they got an MS. Or, you know, humility would never uh, say that one person is better than another based on academic achievement. Humility would never say someone is better because they, they're better at, you know, a sport than another person. Humility would never say that, you know, because of this person, you know, occupying a position, a job title, a profession as being important, more important than a, than another person of a job profession. So for example, perhaps society would view a professor at a college uh, who has a PhD better than a person who does custodial work. You know, so I would often see uh, when I was at the University of Florida, my department, this wonderful mentor of mine who is the chair of our department. So, you know, he's a professor and a chair of a department. He would go out of his way to have conversations with people that were in charge of the, the maintenance of our facility and cleaning the bathrooms and doing all these other kind of things. He would be you would see this person in more conversations with people that were doing this kind of work than the faculty of our department. 
and I thought it was a really great example to me. And, and he did this at, just because this is the kind of person he was, and that's just genuine and to his true nature. But it was a, showing a sign to me that even though society might rank order professions, better to be an engineer than a, than a landscaper. And saying, no, humility does not do that hierarchy. Humility doesn't do the value and self-worth of a person based on their occupation in life. I, I love that part about humility. Humility would never you know, say that someone is better than somebody else because of perhaps even the accomplishments that they've had in their life or the experiences that they had in life where you know, some people, through whatever reason you know, it is, don't have the opportunity to, to travel the world or to do all these other kind of things and to accomplish and to have these experiences. Yet at the same time, people that have just as much value than other people do, even though they might not have the same life experiences and accomplishments. And certainly humility would not value one person over another based on um, their financial status, you know, their money, their materialism, the kind of car, their house that they might own uh, is, even though society will tell us this, humility does not see that. Humility would not base the value of a person based on their reputation, their prestige, or their fame. You know, how many people that have uh, been well-known through pop culture, through politics, through sports, and et cetera, that are very famous and, and have, you know, maybe that one time they had awesome reputations, were very famous, but then the real lives of these persons and et cetera don't exactly match their reputation. Albert Einstein was famously quoted as saying, you know, the reputation that I have is definitely much different than the person that I actually am. He, I think, was coming from a place of orienting us to, to a place of humility there that he was reporting out on ourselves. And certainly other humility wouldn't base the value of a person based on what other people say or have to say about us and those other kind of things. So I find humility to be just very much not in the camp of identifying the value of, of a person based on what society says about who we are, if we're, if we're able to you know, achieve academically, professionally, athletically, our reputation, our materialism, all these things that society values, humility does not necessarily value and doesn't base the self-worth on ourselves or a person. And, and, and what I find this a lesson out of this is that humility creates a space for us to treat what, I guess, success in society would be as defined, would treat that the same as it would treat you know, failure. And so, you know, the idea that say we were, you know, on this podcast and in working with people with disabilities, we talk about goal setting and becoming better versions of ourselves and this process of, uh, you know, attaining that more or less is the, is the most important things. But whether we get there or not, humility would say that's not necessarily the outcome that we want to have. It's important to be on a path of always trying to improve. But, you know, whether or not we get there or not and we accomplish it's the striving, not necessarily the arriving that's important for us. So I, th I believe humility would treat uh, success and quote unquote failure as the same and not to get o you know, overblown with it. I'm finding that he what humility is not is pride. I think that was baked into one of the definitions that I sent there. And I know pride gets thrown around a lot as being a good thing. And, and I've been you know, subject to this as well. When I see, you know, say uh, one of my sons doing you know, something nice and kind to their brothers or to someone else. And, 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 and you know, my, one of my natural inclinations is to say, I'm so proud of you. But that's not what I really mean. Because pride, this overinflated, egoic sense of self-worth, I'm not sitting there saying I'm prideful of my son. I think he's better than other, other people, other kids, et cetera. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just, I mean, I mean I'm happy.
And I think we use pride to really say that we're happy for something versus, you know, we think we're better or others are better that we're assigning this word pride. So it's a cautionary use of that word that I have right now. And, and I encourage other people to think about, like, do we really mean pride when we're saying the word pride? Because pride originally as it was defined is not such a good thing. That would be one is humility is certainly the antithesis of pride and arrogance. Arrogance being defined as um, ignorance plus conviction equals arrogance. So we definitely don't want to be ignorant. The next episode, we're going to talk about, you know, you know how important humility is in, in learning and not being ignorant. But if we are ignorant and then we are also convicted at the same time about that ignorance, that equals arrogance. That's easy to see in others, I think, you know, where we can consider somebody arrogant because they're so convicted about the ignorance that they have. So that's not humility. Humility uh, also isn't envious or jealous. Again, if humility comes from a place where we don't value people based on their achievements, their accomplishments, and their reputation, we would then not be envious, envious or jealous of people that you know might you know have achieved more academically or athletically and all these other kind of places. So I think one of the values of having the value of humility is, is that it doesn't subject us to possibly being envious or jealous of other people. I think that's a very important part of that as well. Another thing that I think humility is, is that it's not harmed by the unfairness of life. I think about this for myself about, you know, having a, a disability I, I and working with other people that have disabilities and like, look, life is unfair. I mean, that's just, you know, a fact. And you can see that in the natural world. We see that in the human world. You know, I can say that it's, you know, not fair that oftentimes when I go out to places, you know, they don't have what's required by the with the Americans with Disabilities Act. That's true. Or that it's unfair that I don't have the eyesight that allows me to, to have a driver's license and to be able to have some of the freedoms that other people might have. It's unfair that it takes me longer, you know, to get the same job done as it does somebody who has better vision. Um, yes, sure. I can say all that stuff. And it could be true. But whether or not that I'm harmed by this unfairness is another issue in and of itself. I find that, you know, humility would say, yeah, those things are unfair. But you know what? That's just the way life is. And I have things that, you know, other people don't have. You know, maybe I have a you know marriage and I'm, I'm able to have kids and I'm able to have a job. And, you know, other people aren't able to have that. And, and maybe that's not fair to them. So, you know, I don't want to be harmed by the things that, you know, I could hang my hat on by saying that's not fair. That's a choice to be harmed by those things. Humility, I think, you know, says, well, who is it that, why, why should you live a life that's completely fair and equitable at all times? And so I, I think it does that. I, I don't think humility then puts people in a position where they then can complain and blame and, and do all these other kind of things. I also don't think humility, it means necessarily the same thing as being humiliated. These words are very close together. And there's probably a word origin in there, an association that maybe connects them. But I, I see humiliation being where, you know, people are belittling others and uh, offending others and, and trying to, you know, devalue other people. Um, I don't think humility, as least as I'm defining it and speaking it about it here, is anywhere associated with the humiliation of other people, nor is what is felt when being humiliated by other people. So I'm in the context here of uh, describing uh, what it's not to help point towards what it is. Some of the ways that I myself have perhaps encountered 
experiencing or on the path towards acquiring humility in my life because I did have low vision. And when I was in school, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, in high school and in college, you know, I just, my reading, even nowadays with my typing and even with screen magnifiers and all this wonderful new innovative technologies, I'm just slower, just a lot slower. And when I was getting my doctorate, the other doc students that were getting their doctorate too, you know, it was easy for me to be like, man, it takes me five hours to do what it takes them like a half hour to do. And, and it's just the way it is. And I had to come to terms with that and be okay with that and learn how to study smarter and to be okay with having to miss out on things because it just took me and takes me more time to, to do the work that I'm doing right now. I actually had to go through a career change in my life. At first, I was interested in you know, excelling and in, in coaching athletics. I fortunately, due to you know my, my parents' involvement, got to do well in athletics and have the good fortune of having some excellent coaches. And I wanted to be like that too. You know, I wanted to do coaching at a very high level. It requires eyesight. Requires you know the ability to see technique and across a you know when I was swimming across the pool and to see times and and do all these other kind of things. And I loved coaching swimming, and just uh, probably would have you know, stayed in that career path had it not been for my eyesight. And so, you know, and that, that also accompanied, you know, being a physical education teacher and then to be responsible out in a play field or in a gym and, and to see, and, you know, be responsible for the safety and everything that was going on, you know, it wasn't a big match for somebody who was uh, gradually losing their eyesight. And, you know, to the point I'm at right now, I'm legally blind. So it would, you know, I, you know, I had to really adjust my career and I didn't want to. I didn't want to go through a career adjustments and, and, and having to do other things and then having to go back to school to get different skills and, and knowledge underneath my belt to make these career changes. I didn't want to go through all that. I was already set. I knew what I wanted to do. Um, but you know what? That's what life had in store for me. And along the way, you know, I think it has helped to advance me down that that path of humility. Certainly when I lost my driver's license, as I was alluding to earlier, um, not being able to to have the ability to just hop in the car and, and go see friends and family that just live an hour and a half, two hours away, not be able to provide for my family in the way that I would want to. If I had a, you know, a, a car, I could just load up my three sons and we could go to parks, the beach. Um, I'd be able to shop for them. But now that's kind of, you know, on, on my lovely wife to, to have to do a lot of those kind of things and to take us along. And, you know, anytime we go on a road trip, man, I would love to be able to to contribute to all the driving that goes into there. And um, yeah, it's it's a it's a place of being humbled, you know, for sure. I'm not sure I have humility, but in, you know, the society and masculinity and being somebody that, you know, with eyesight, I, I could be able to do a lot of Mr. Fix-It or, you know, contribute more in a way that society says is manly, I guess. And I can't in, in many ways. I, I, got, I got to ask for help. When I go out and about, if I am somewhere where I'm purchasing something and I'm using a debit card, I can't see where, if I, do I swipe it or is there a chip? Or, you know, what is the screen telling me? I'm having to ask the, the cashier. You know, they, they're, they're not necessarily accustomed to people who don't have, have the eyesight I have. And I got to explain to them, well, I have a vision disability. Can you help please you know, read the screen for me? Uh, they're super busy and, and uh, now I'm slowing them down. There's probably a line of people behind me, too, that are like, what's going on with this guy? Can't he read? Um, yeah, I'm having to be, put myself in that position when I go to a doctor's office and the receptionist is busy and 
you know, here I am asking, uh, you know, for help to fill out paperwork and, and do all these other kind of things. And, and that certainly helps me along the path of working towards humility, asking for simple accommodations along the way that I've needed. And some, some of the things that having a disability that I'm in, entitled to, um, it's still not easy. It's still not easy, and, and that's probably because I have pride I need to be working on eliminating within myself to, to be in a position. Maybe I wouldn't feel so vulnerable if I didn't have this this pride and not wanting to ask and, and having to come from a place of humility. So, you know, I'm definitely finding it in my life that uh, I'm still working on it in many of these areas and many others as well. But I also think about humility in terms of human service and working to help people. I can tell you right now when when I found myself gravitating towards coaching and education and then making career changes and when I was working for the Department of Child and Family Services uh, when I lived in Rhode Island, I was working with youth that were remanded in the state custody for delinquency, abandonment, abuse, neglect, or all the above and uh, would be oftentimes in it to because I would you know wanted to save them I suppose and uh, thinking that I had those kind of skills or values that would would save these youth who I was just getting to know and so they had a lifetime uh, before they came to me of experiences and influences and here I am thinking that you know my brief encounter my finite work with them would somehow save them and I think that's pride um, I certainly want to help them but the idea that I could save them. I think was coming from a place that was in humility. Uh, and I remember times where I would really, I thought, be getting through to them. They would be opening up to me in a way that they didn't other counselors. would talk about how to make better choices for themselves, how they you know, would then disclose to me all kinds of things that they weren't disclosing to other people, would be ma- making what I perceived to be headway. And then, uh, you know, after a while, I, I'd come to work and, and you know, where's so-and-so that I've been working with? Oh, they went AWOL which means they ran away from, say, the group home that I was working with them on and you know, ended up getting arrested for, for doing things that landed them there in the first place. Yeah, that was eye-opening to me. And this happened so many times where you know, we continue to work with people. They would say all the right things, probably mean it too, and at the same time make choices that, that would keep them in, in a cycle. And, and that was very an orienting for me. I would then come here to the University of Florida and get my PhD in an area known as community-based participatory research, CBPR, community-based participatory research. Fundamentally, this sees the community that we're working with, a marginalized community, as the experts. Not us who are getting our PhDs or have our PhDs or or whatever uh, alphabet soups afterwards. Not us who have maybe experience in working with people. It's a community that we're working with. To me, uh, this field uh, of community-based work is in fact working from a place of, of humility and and not thinking that we're going to come into this community and save it, but rather they're the experts. And we just happen to have perhaps some capacity to open up opportunities and doorways to allow them to identify their own needs, to allow them to come up with the programs or policies that are needed to address those needs, to empower them to assess their capabilities and, and seeing if they're meeting those needs, have them sustain the program, not us, not the experts. And I see this in Centers for Independent Living as well where the philosophy is, is that people with disabilities are the experts. They're the ones who know best what they need and uh, that we are just here to help them 
achieve their goals. And they perhaps just need a door opened, a resource given to them, maybe a little bit of information, but to empower them to do that. I love how Centers for Independent Living have half of the staff, more than half of the staff. In our case at our center, two thirds of our staff have a disability. Over half of our board has a disability. And for me, it really drives to this place of a not an expert driven approach which to me would be more of, a, of the pride driving uh, the boat rather than saying, no, it's the community of people that we're serving uh, are the ones. To me, this has at its core a philosophy of, of humility and, and occupying the position that I'm in, the philosophy that I really want to put into practice and seek to do better in each and every day is this notion of servant leadership. And, and so in the arena of leadership, this has been, you know, is well known. And it's this idea that maybe, uh, you know, on the organizational chart, you know, we may occupy the position that's, that, that's the top, but it's in fact, it's our role and responsibility to work for those that are in our charge. We're not in charge of the people. We're in their charge. In my opinion, what I work towards is, is working for the staff that work here at the center. They're not mine. Uh, I am theirs. I am theirs to, to figure out how I can spend my time helping them to be as successful as they can be in helping the people that we serve. And that means, you know, learning from them. It means hearing where they're coming from and how we should deliver our services. It means me figuring out how I can get resources to them, whether they're other people, human resources, or whether it's materials or whether it's financial resources, so they, they can be in the best position to meet our mission and our goals of serving other people. So this arena of servant leadership, I think really the heart of it is humility, not not being the authority, not thinking that we're the ones in charge, but rather those that we work with. We're the ones, we serve them. Uh, they're not there to, to serve us. And, and so I think that's a very important perspective in the area of, of serving other people that uh, I, I seek to come from. And, you know, when I do look at the staff that work here at our center, one of the things that strikes me is that they're certainly smart enough, talented enough, skilled enough, and hardworking enough to do other occupations that would pay a lot more than working in, a, in an area of human services. And so if I'm allowed to identify humility in other people, I, I see it in our staff because that, that, I think, is one of the drivers for them to, to choose a profession uh, that doesn't pay as much that doesn't bring them the posthumous fame or the prestige or the reputation that other careers could, that they can easily uh, segue into, that would give them more money, more materialism, uh, be seen by society as perhaps more valuable, and give them perhaps a better reputation and all these other kind of things. They don't. They come to choose to work here because they care about people, they're empathetic, and I would say humble in being able to do that. And, and so I, I, I really learn a lot from watching people at our center and others that are out there serving people that could very easily be doing something else, yet they're choosing to be of service to other people. Um, that, to me, again, is why humility, I think, is, is, is so very important. You know, one of the things that I think is a big driver in our area, and when we talk about you know disability to other people, and and are trying to destigmatize disability, you know we get often looped into diversity trainings. We do disability awareness trainings, in this whole arena of diversity now, 
is more amplified than ever, not just in the, in the workforce, it's not just in our schools, uh, but society-wise, we're, we're talking more about you know, inclusion and equity. And, and one of the things that encompass this is known as cultural competencies. I certainly know when, when I was getting my doctorate, teaching future healthcare providers, teaching future uh, medical doctors and, and professionals was this idea that we need to be culturally competent. We need to be understanding that when we are going to serve other people, that they're going to come from different cultures. And we need to be competent enough in our language and our mannerisms to be able to communicate with them in a way that they're going to understand. It's on us to have these cultural competencies. And, and so it's very much a part of you know, what's known as health literacy and, and being able to do this. And a component of cultural competency is called cultural humility. Cultural humility. And it's to realize that even though we might think we know about uh, a group of people, um, you know, maybe it's this group of people can even be people with disabilities. Maybe we have uh, known people from different races or people that identify as different genders or uh, sexual orientations. You know, maybe we, we've come to know a few, few people in our lives and, and have experiences with them and even call them friends or family. But the idea to think that we know this group of people requires uh, some humility because cultures are very rich and wide and deep and varied and we will always especially if it's a culture that's different than than the one that we're ascribed to uh, we will always have more to learn and to never get into a place where we think we've arrived and that we know every even me with a disability I, 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 will, I cannot claim nor ever would claim to know everything about disability, all the different subcultures within disability, and ever get into a place where I could even be prideful or arrogant to think that I do. I'm still getting to know myself better, so I cannot even for one second begin to even think that I know um, what it's like uh, culturally speaking, even about people who have low vision or blind, let alone deaf or have physical uh, impairments and mobility impairments, cultural humility. And to kind of wrap this episode, and, and I think it'll make a good segue for the next episode, when we, we do talk about diversity, I think one of the most emerging issue areas in diversity is diversity of opinion, diversity of the way of thinking about ourselves, about life, uh, about politics, uh, about pandemics, and can we have a diversity in a way that brings together people who have different opinions uh, into a space that can, that can speak about the, our different ways of seeing life in a way that's not, not something that uh, cancels one another? I, I, I'm finding that we need to have diversity of opinions and thoughts and perspectives to be able to create spaces where we can disagree without being disagreeable. For me, diversity, intellectual diversity, intellectual humility is a very important area for all of us because I'm finding that often uh, conversations are precluded because people think differently than we do. If they don't you know, believe the way that we believe or see the world that we see the world, well, we're just not going to engage. And for me, that is increasing the amount of division that is in our world, the amount of uh, discourse that's in our world, in a time where 
I, I think more unity is needed. And certainly in the context of diversity, I believe having a diversity of opinions is very important and humility. Humility creates that space. Humility creates a space for where we could all be able to put our own beliefs and biases aside, hear what it's like from a different person's point of view than ours, let go of our biases, really embrace where they're coming from, examine why they might think that the way they do, to better understand that, and then to return to our own biases and opinions and thoughts and really try to reconcile the two, honestly reconcile the two. Maybe we'll think differently, having gone through this exercise of letting go our own biases, examining the world from a different person's perspective, why they think that the way they do, revisit our own, and, and have the malleability to perhaps change our own point of view and to be able to do that. That, to me, is a very high level of diversity, intellectual humility, and something that we're going to get more into into the next episode. So humility, one of the highest virtues I believe is out there, one that I seek to go down the path of embracing more and more in my own life. So until the next time, let's live onward and upward with a high degree of humility in our heart. Thanks for listening to the Independent Life Podcast brought to you by the Center for Independent Living of North Central Florida. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe. And if you know anyone who might benefit from listening, share this podcast and invite them to subscribe too. For questions, suggestions, or if you have a story you'd like to share, please email us at cilncf.org at gmail.com or call us at 352-378-7474. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, support, advocate, and empower each other to live the independent life.